You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 268th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 872nd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of October 13th, 2022. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. This week's Banner Moment continues with the theme of this offseason. Big expectations for a program that hasn't achieved much the last six seasons and a coach and team that seem to be fully embracing them. On Monday, results of the annual quote-unquote official unofficial media poll were released. This is the poll organized by Adam Jardy and Brendan Quinn that surveys 28 beat writers from around the league, two from each team, to get preseason rankings and all Big Ten teams. And... Just like every other preseason poll that has been released, your Indiana Hoosiers came out on top. Indiana received 19 of 28 first-place votes. Illinois received six first-place votes, including from Alex Bozich and Zach Osterman, so be sure to blow up their social media with your disagreement, while Michigan, Purdue, and Iowa all received one as well. Meanwhile, Indiana hosted its annual Hoosier Hysteria celebration on Friday, and the trio of Mike Woodson, Trace Jackson Davis, and Race Thompson attended Big Ten Media Day in Indianapolis this week as well. And while nothing earth-shattering was revealed for folks who have been paying attention all along, it was nice to hear all three continue to embrace the big expectations head-on. As Woody said on Friday when asked what's next by Courtney Cronin, he responded simply, What's next? Big Ten title and a national title. What else? And look, as Woody has acknowledged, preseason rankings and talk are just that. All that matters is what happens on the court. But it's tough to succeed with big expectations if you don't believe yourself worthy of those expectations in the first place. And this IU team seems to have that collective belief as the season approaches. And why not? As Woody famously uttered on Friday night. Indiana basketball, excuse my language, is the shit. Yes, it is. Woody is right. Indiana basketball is exactly that. And we finally have a roster again that warrants the kinds of expectations that Woody and so many of us older fans are used to. All right. Now let me introduce my co-host this week. Andy is off deep in preparation for his daughter's youth basketball league. And Ryan is off in Rome, probably interrupting someone's tour of the Coliseum to rant about how the amphitheater's ruins, even in their current state, would make for a better viewing experience than Assembly Hall. But here with me are a couple of coaches who are eager to dive into some Indiana basketball talk. Did I say a couple? I actually meant a trio of coaches who are eager to dive into some Indiana basketball talk. First, we have the founder of Delphi Bracketology and the longtime high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana. You know who it is. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the 
Coach, it is Tonsoni time. What's on your mind? Uh, it's, it, it's getting close, everyone. It's just uh, just around the corner from some actual basketball. I uh, can't wait till the 29th to see them play in an exhibition. Uh, just just exciting. We, we do a lot of off-season content, and that's good. And, and sometimes we're, we reach into the basket and try to pull out something to talk basketball because talking Indiana basketball, no matter what, is good. But it's, it's a lot better when we have something uh, – visual to see. And so I, I can't wait. I appreciate the, the expectations. Uh, I think they're, they're warranted anytime you, you have a returning group uh, that the media and, and the outside sources are going to uh, look at that a little more positively than, uh, you know, teams without that experience. It still needs to be done on, on the court. And, and that's why I'm excited about seeing uh, the actual play instead of all the hype uh, and all of that. It's fun. It's where Indiana needs to be on a regular basis for here to eternity, and I'm happy that it's here. But I want uh, to see those W's start piling up and have some excellent postgame shows. And I'm really excited to have Bob on the show and Tony on the show. Uh, a lot of good uh, coach speak going to happen here in, in segment two, so looking forward to that. Absolutely. All right. Also with us, a voice that you haven't heard in a while, but he's back. Another former basketball coach in the state of Indiana, the brains behind IU Film Room, which is the premium section of our private IU basketball community that features in-depth film breakdowns of every aspect of IU basketball. It is Tony Adrania. Tony, how are you feeling with the season fast approaching? I'm excited. I'm excited to be back here uh, on Assembly Call. It's been quite some time since I've uh, been back here on Assembly Call Radio. So super thrilled to be here on the show and super thrilled that uh, Indiana has some meaningful basketball to play here. I mean, I've been, I've been itching. I, if you follow me on Twitter, I, I tweeted some scrimmage stuff today. I was diving into, I mean, that's, that's about where I'm at. (laughs) Desperate for, for any type of Indiana basketball video to comment on and cut up. That's why we love you, Tony. All right. And ladies and gentlemen, making his debut on the assembly call, his long awaited debut This is a gentleman who, you know, if you've been in our private discussion community, if you're in other IU basketball communities, you've probably been going down a thread reading, you know, some good stuff here, some good stuff there. Then you'll get to this one comment, and it's just filled with well-written, thoughtful basketball analysis, and it's probably this guy. He's another coach. He's coached youth basketball for 24 years in Columbus, Indiana, uh, 19 of them at Parkside Elementary, and he has served several years coaching school-based travel teams, most recently in the Columbus Revolution program, and he's a new dad. He is Bob Motes. Bob, I'm so glad that you were finally able to get on the show with us. So glad we can make this happen, and anytime I get a chance to sit down with uh, especially Tony and Brian and Jared to talk basketball, uh, I'll, you know, just tell me where I need to be, and I'll be there. <laughs> So what are your opening thoughts? Give me your kind of how you're feeling about the team with the season am, fast approaching. I'm excited. I'm anxious. It's like Christmas, the, the, like the like two, three months before Christmas when the Sears wish book comes out. And, you know, for those of you who remember the Sears wish book, you know, you get your pen or your Sharpie and you just circle all the toys you're going to get. And you have all these questions about what's going to be underneath the tree. And we're at that point now where the tree's up, the packages are showing up. You've been to talk to Santa too. We're at that point now where that anticipation is really building for that first real, you know, time to see this team in exhibition play. So I can't wait. Absolutely. All right. Well, here's what we have in store this week. We'll go through a few Hoosier headlines, including obviously the exciting one that had everybody talking this week. 
Uh, and then we're going to have a special coach's corner. And these guys are going to dig in uh, to some coaching questions about your Indiana Hoosiers. And in segment three, we will answer a few questions from our community members. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. That's right. This edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere, with so many cool old vintage logos, like two different versions of the bison, so many more. And what's great, you know, we've talked a lot about the different t-shirts that they have, but have you stepped outside? It's starting to get a little bit cooler. The leaves are starting to change. And despite Galen Clavio's protestations about this time of year, I say it's a beautiful time of year, but it means you might have to bundle up a little bit, which means it's time to bust out your crew next, time to get your hoodies and home field apparel. Look, they have the, I mean, the t-shirts are comfortable, but the crew necks and the hoodies are just like draping yourself in luxurious, soft material. It's wonderful. Uh, the colors stay even after you wash them. The comfort stays even after you wash them. And the great thing is, with the holidays coming up, you know, Bob's talking about Christmas. You're going to have to do some Christmas shopping. They've pretty much got something for everyone there because they have 140, 150 different schools. I think they just released Fordham this week. I mean, they're going to eventually have all of them. So no matter who you're shopping for, they're going to have something for you. And no matter what time of year you're shopping, they've got you covered with comfortable materials it's Homefield Apparel. We love these guys. Homefieldapparel.com is the website. You can use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, to get 15% off your first order. That is promo code HOME at Homefield Apparel. Wear one for the team. Okay, gentlemen. Um, and Bob, if you can turn your audio up. If, uh, I noticed in the chat people were saying a little bit of audio. If there's any way you can bump your audio up, that'd probably help. Um, let's dig into a few Hoosier headlines. Uh, the biggest headline, of course, is the news broken by John Rothstein this week when he tweeted, Indiana and Kentucky are in advanced discussions to play multi-year series with games both on campus and at neutral sites. Multiple sources told College Hoops today the series is not expected to begin for a couple of years. And look, we'd kind of heard, you know, like Mike Woodson has made mention of it a couple of times, but I think everybody was a little bit surprised to see it come out, you know, so definitively. And, of course, to see those words on campus, because that has kind of been a sticking point. Now, it doesn't say at Assembly Hall, so we're not sure if John Calipari is going to make the games be played at the SRSC or the Hyper. Uh, so, you know, there's no fans in case they lose again. Um, but it's just great news that, you know, a great rivalry um, is appears like it's back on track. Uh, Coach Tonsoni, I guess I can't just say coach now. I have to <laughs> specify. Uh, Coach Tonsoni, your thoughts on Indiana, Kentucky, maybe, possibly, probably being back? Uh, you know, it's just been tradition, uh, and I think it's a good thing. I, I'm looking forward to the matchups against Kansas and Arizona and North Carolina. Those are the types of matchup that Indiana fans are used to seeing uh, throughout the years. And so anytime you can get back to one that is a, a rivalry like that. I think it's a good thing, and I like having them on campus, but that's just my age and, and, and coaching. I'd rather have it played regardless. Uh, I, I didn't mind those games in, in Louisville or in Indianapolis as well where everyone got together and you give some people an, a, a different opportunity to see. But you also got to take care of your season ticket holders, so I enjoy it being on campus. The key statement here for me is the series is not expected to be, begin for a couple of years. Calipari is going to be gone. 
So they're probably setting it up right now with the idea that he's either going to be retiring on his own or he hasn't made the trip to the Final Four for a while, go in a different direction. They're just I don't think you'll see John Calipari in Assembly Hall again. Uh, you may see Kentucky, uh, but not under the direction of Calipari, and, and that's okay. Um, I didn't like he, the, by the way. I, I, I don't know. Um, 64? He's, like, he's older than you'd think. Yeah, yeah. My only interaction with him, I was in an elevator once when he was in Indianapolis for a tournament. Very nice gentleman. Uh, I didn't want him to be nice. Uh, you know, I was actually wearing a Michigan shirt because Michigan was playing. I think, yeah, Michigan and Kentucky were playing in the tournament. So I wore a Michigan and got an elevator with him and had a kind of awkward conversation. But he was very, very cordial. But I didn't appreciate the, the fact, uh, uh, all the talk about campus and what he does down there as far as scheduling. So uh bring it back but let's have a different coach that we can kick their ass that'll be better (laughs) absolutely tony what'd you think when you saw this come across yeah yeah i'm thrilled i think it's you know it's just kind of makes bass college basketball like right in a way when indiana kentucky are playing each other um you know it's it's two great fan bases two storied programs like you know, like Coach said, when when Indiana's playing the Arizonas, the Kansases, the Kentuckys, North Carolinas of the world, like, um, you know, that's where we think we should be as as a fan base and as a program. And you know, I'm I'm glad that it seems like it's going to get done. I'm with Coach too. I don't think Cal will ever be back at Assembly Hall. I mean, it's similar to their Gonzaga series. I think uh, six years from now they finally play at Gonzaga. I know they're playing. They're playing in Spokane, right, this year, but it's not on campus. Um, and uh, I, I saw that Kentucky put it as a, a road game, and uh, Gonzaga has it as a neutral game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of funny how they, they work that on their scheduling. But, yeah, I, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I was I was uh, junior in college when the watch shot happened. Um, and, you know, having been the last time that they went to Assembly Hall being that um, – you know, that seems like forever ago to me. So I'm, I'm excited that this is going to happen to me. You know, I would love for it to be on campus, but I just want to see it played. And I'm kind of interested to see where these neutral sites could be. Like, you know, I, I could see Cal Parry getting exotic and, and coach Wooden likes his NYC. Um, you know, I could see some garden, you know, I think that'd be cool if they played one at, in New York city. I think that'd be awesome. Like, you know, but yeah, I'm excited. You know, the, the irony is, uh, get your thoughts on this coach modes. The irony of this is I feel like for the, you know, when the series first went away, you know, obviously we're all pining for it and we want it because it's a, it's a great series. And look, to be fair, it's meant more to us than it's meant to them um, because they've kind of been at a higher level and our schedules just haven't had much meat in the non-conference. So it's felt like without this, you know, it's like a lot of seasons we've had kind of the games that we have to play and then not a whole lot else. And the irony is now this year's schedule is great. And it's almost like a lot of us kind of forgot about it. Like this really just became a topic that I don't know. I didn't, not a lot of people were talking about this Uh, and now it's back and it is exciting. But I think part of the reason why it's exciting is it doesn't feel like we're desperate for it anymore. And it did feel for several years there, like we were kind of desperate to get this back. Um, You know, and look, we need to win games and we need to do well with the schedule that we have this year. But there's just I find something ironic about that, that right at the time when I think most fans were kind of like, eh, if it happens, it happens. Now it looks like it is going to happen. And that, that is a good thing. And I, I just I just remember, you know, you're talking about the you know, that time in the 
in the 90s when Kansas was coming in. You had the Kentucky game, at, and it was it was at the, the Hoosier Dome. It was always at the Hoosier Dome or at Freedom Hall in Louisville, half blue, half red, and just an incredibly charged atmosphere built not just for a live experience, but for television. It was amazing. I remember that, just that feeling going in there. And, you know, some of your, your biggest arguments were never with Purdue fans. They were with, they were with Kentucky fans and just mm-hmm. going back and forth with them throughout the year for 364 days and you settled it on the floor. So the fact that we can get that part of the program back, that part of that prestige back is for me essential because as Indiana basketball really kind of takes that next step and we're, this is a program that's trying to buy to be in the top 2% of the programs in the country. This is a necessary step. You got to play the the best and beat the best to be the best. Yeah. And we need to get back to being their peer not pulling a great upset you know it needs to just be a knockdown drag out game where people walk away from it being like damn that could be an elite eight game right there mm-hmm. you know that's what we got to get back to so hopefully the series comes back and uh and hopefully we do get back to that uh let's see quick recruiting note Arrington page who had been obviously a big iu target he's going to usc uh, i believe his High school friend Isaiah Collier is also going to USC. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, uh, but he is following him there. Uh, so good luck to Arrington in his college endeavors. Uh, and the last thing I want to get you guys' comments on is uh, I mentioned the official unofficial poll, which came out. And for my money, this is the one I pay the most attention to. Um, because like I said, they survey two beat writers you know, from each team. Uh, and so I think you really get, you know, people who have you know just really been marinating with these programs day after day after day year after year uh which is probably why alex and zach didn't pick indiana to win the big 10 because you know as soon as you get down to like like i get that we're the favorite i feel like we're the favorite but it is hard to see it when we haven't even finished above 500 so i I do kind of get it from their perspective um but a lot of the other beat writers obviously had confidence um player of the year was hunter dickinson trace was second he was the uh, only other unanimous first team all big 10 selection their pick for freshman of the year was Jalen Hood Shafino Xavier Johnson did make second team uh, I want to want to go around the horn real quick and get your guys thoughts if anything jumped out to you coach Tonsoni uh, anything from the official unofficial poll jump out just it, it's real quick what what is interesting is a team that was nine and 11 and finished ninth in the big 10 is now the favorite by everybody that 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 just puts a little bit of concern I'm glad, I'm happy, but it puts a little bit of concern because usually you see the team finish second or third, has some players coming back, their natural progression is going to be to jump up to the top. Uh, and then Michigan was favored last year and finished uh, eighth and played us in the eighth and, and ninth game. So, you know, uh, production has to meet the projection, right? Um, and And that's a little concerning. Uh, and so I understand where those two guys went elsewhere. When you start looking elsewhere, it's hard to kind of find that definitive answer this year, because I think there's so many questions in the big 10, as far as Illinois got a whole new roster with transfers. Michigan's lost some people, you know, you go right down the line. We've done that all, all off season. Hunter Dickinson is a little bit interesting as well as player of the year over trace where trace gets a lot of uh, publicity there. Uh, I get that hunters can shoot from outside. He can do some things not as athletic. I think I'd rather have trace and the athleticism and and the defense that he brings. Uh, But Hunter Dickinson's more of the five of today's type of basketball player. Um, And they've had a little bit more success. So um, 
nothing other than that. I'm glad to see Hood Shafino and Xavier Johnson mentioned, and let's go, let's go play. Tony? You sure you don't want to go to Bob here? <laughs> <laughs> Bob disappeared. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm with Coach. Again, it's preseason expectations are nice, but, you know, I can see why uh, Alex and Osterman – uh, didn't pick IU. They they watched IU every game, game in, game out last year, and not just the March run. You know, let's say Michigan just continues through that second half like they did the first half in the Big Ten tournament, throttles IU. IU probably you know fizzles out in the NIT somewhere. You know, is is this are these expectations the same? Um, now you know that's if ifs and nuts were candies and nuts. Every day would be Christmas to stick with the theme. Um, but, um, but you know, it's, it's interesting because IU had a lot of flaws last season. Um, and some of those flaws on paper weren't really fixed. Um, and so I'm thrilled that I use a favorite, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that, um, you know, they will live up to the expectations of the big 10, because like you guys have mentioned, the big 10 is a mystery. Um, you know, there's, there's so much that, we just don't know about each team and each program. And, um, you know, I think on paper, talent-wise, Illinois makes a lot of sense to be the favorite. Um, you know, they got a lot of key transfers in, but can they mesh and mold and, um, you know, all those things. And they lost, you know, Big Ten Player of the Year, I believe, right? Kofi was Big Ten Player of the Year. Am I right in that? I think so. He was uh, certainly up there if he wasn't. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting, um, but – you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit, the preseason expectations as a coach, but um, yeah, you, you kind of got to stay grounded and, and not, you know, kind of tone out that noise. You know, it's just, it's hard because, okay. Those of us who have watched a lot of Indiana basketball over the last five years, and a lot of these same guys are coming back who we love, but these have been guys who have been up and down. Even trace was up and down as recently as last year, you know, and it is hard to envision those guys winning a Big Ten title simply because we haven't seen it. But the thing is, you start going down the other Big Ten rosters, and it's even harder to envision those. And that's why Indiana has kind of risen to the top. But there is one thing, one kind of narrative that I hear said often, and I just disagree with it. And it's, you know, that, you know, okay, Indiana's got basically the same team coming back. And I get why people say that, because we do have a lot of returning experience back. But, you know, the thing that we have that the other teams don't have in the Big Ten is two really good recruits in Jalen Hood-Shafino and Malik Renew. And I think those two guys really change the complexion of what this team can do. Now, obviously, there's holes and the shooting needs to improve. But I think those two guys, and frankly, what I expect from Tamar in his sophomore season it's going to really change the look of what this team is going to be. Um, you know, so that, that kind of narrative where it's just like, oh, this is just the same Indiana team. I mean, there's some of the same guys, but this team is going to look and feel different um, because it's going to be a lot more talented. And so I think those two things are why, you know, Indiana, I think outside of uh, our friends at CBS Sports, so the internet's just going to have to go out anytime they tweet their stuff uh, because they picked Illinois to win the Big Ten. So they're on the side of Alex and Zach. Uh, oh, yeah, and Kent reminds us, Johnny Davis was Big Ten Player of the Year. Then you also had like Keegan Murray and Ivy and all those guys. So Kofi was first team, I think. Um, but you had all those other guys. Bob was having computer issues, but he says uh, he will be back. Uh, any other final thoughts from you guys on the official unofficial poll and 
all these big expectations that we have coming into the season. Coach, you Delphi Bracketology did their first bracket. Where'd you have the Hoosiers? Four seed. Okay. Uh, four seed in Des Moines for uh, Kathy. And, and uh, I think maybe Jim, somebody got a, I think it was Jim, uh, a couple people that live out there. So uh, we really didn't do that for you, but it just happened in the, in the seeding process. Uh, uh, we, we had Indiana, I think uh, 13th or 14th overall on the seed list uh, that put them on the, the four seed line. So, all of that, take that with all of a grain of salt. Uh, we spent two hours yesterday. Uh, just uh, We had a, a testing day in the afternoon. We could do clubs, so a couple of the kids stuck around, and we just put names up on the board. So it, there, there's no real data or anything to, to back it up like the committee does, but just a couple preseason uh, magazines and uh, some conversation put uh, Hoosiers as a four seed, as the best team in the Big Ten, uh, the highest-seeded team in the Big Ten. All right, chat mob and listeners, right now, if you could lock in a four seed, would you do it? Tony, would you do it? If you could just lock in a four seed in the NCAA tournament right now? Couldn't Absolutely. go higher. You'd lock in the Absolutely. four? Absolutely. Sign me up. Chat mob, are you locking in the four or are you rolling the dice with this team? I think I'd lock in the four. <laughs> I'd mean, take the four. I think I would, I think I would take the four. I mean, no, I'd take a seven. Right? No, yeah, I wouldn't exactly. take a, I would not take uh, a seven. I'd maybe not lock in. But yeah. my goodness, I, I don't want to be in a playing game. I don't want to be yeah, not in the tournament. It's been so long since we've worn the white jerseys uh, yeah, in mean, that first round. Because four is kind of, it's where, you know, three or four is probably where I think that's probably most likely where they'll be. Um, or four, probably four or five is most likely where they'll be. Three is a little bit on the high end. Um, but yeah, if you could lock in a four and just remove the risk of injury and all that stuff from there. Yes, lock in. Yeah. But remember that the se- the top seven seed is the twenty fifth best team in the country. Yeah. Pe- pe- people, I-, I didn't realize that until we started doing. I say this every year. You know, the if you're twenty fourth ranked in the country, you're a top twenty five team, but you're the sixth seed. Sometimes people look at five, six, seven seeds as not worthy basketball teams. Uh, you get a, a top six seed, you're a contender for the for the tournament, depending on matchups. Hey, I know the other question I wanted to ask you. So this little kerfuffle between Kentucky and Gonzaga about whether that's a road game or a neutral game, like ultimately how will that be handled and how will the committee look at that? Because that makes a difference, how that game is designated. It, it, it'll depend on what the official stats list it as. Um, so I don't know if NCA has a determining factor on what they classify, you know, um, either way, quad one though, right? Unless Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but well, neutral, Neutral um, has a little bit of extra neutral, and then road wins have a lot more uh, pull with the committee. So it's like Indiana playing in Indianapolis, you know, Gonzaga playing in the in the same town, but not on campus. Um, that that would be similar to Indiana playing, you know, uh, up in Indianapolis. That game against Ball State's going to be a neutral, um, and so that works in the favor of a, whatever Ball State would be. I still think that's probably a three quad three game, but. So uh, that's what it would be like. Did you see the news that uh, one-time Assembly Call sponsor for a very brief four- or five-week period, Manscaped, uh, signed an official deal with Ball State? (laughs) That's beautiful. Ballsy. (laughs) That's what they said. They said it was the ballsiest uh, sponsorship of a school that they've had. I think I that's the most that controversial funny. thing we've ever done on the assembly call was that sponsorship test run, which we didn't continue. 
Uh, but kudos to them for that was an ad read because that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Fifty-five year old guy reading that ad. That was that was beautiful. (laughs) Just a uh, just a side note to put us back on track at hair, but still a little bit off topic here. Just talking about you know the tournament locking seeds in. Uh, I was just scrolling through Instagram the other day, I think, and uh, saw that. The third best player on Wyoming from last year, the shooter. I can't even remember his name now. Um, he just signed a two-way deal with the Miami Heat. Um, Did I he thought really? that was pretty cool. Yeah, I know. Wow. I was like, wow. Like that wasn't even the guy that we were focused on. It was the Maldonado, Maldonado, and Eco. Dude, just back guys Ike. down for like Ike. twenty seconds at a time. Yeah. Wow. Well, good for that guy. Yeah, it's awesome. I thought that was interesting. All righty. Well, that'll do it for segment one. Coming up here on Assembly Call Radio, we're going to dive into some coaching questions. What would these guys do about Indiana's offense, about their defense, handling expectations? We've assembled our panel. They're going to dive into these questions. That's next on the Assembly Call. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Bob is back. back. We missed you there. We missed you there, Bob. You got your computer issues figured out. You, you kind of throw it a couple times and it, you know, luckily <laughs> it just kind of, you know, kind of, kind of does what it's supposed to do. It, 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 we got it. We got it going. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Um, so yeah, so we'll hop into segment two coach. I'll introduce it. And okay. then I'm going to hand things over to you. Uh, okay. And I'm still I'm recording on my end, so don't worry about okay. all that stuff. Just play the outro music, and then uh, text yep. me if you need me. Okay. And you want me to go through section three as well? And yeah, because there's just there are really just a few questions, and okay. a lot of them kind of hit on some of these same topics. So very good. Yeah. Just um, go through that. Also, quick, a um, couple of listeners stopped by to say hello at the football game. Always good to see him. Forrest Gray, fifty-year Ironman stopped. Had a beer with me. It was it was awesome. Um, awesome. Great guy. Uh, spent some time with him, and, and I hope I pronounced the name right. Uh, Greg Lamont. Uh, he and his wife uh, came up at halftime at section fourteen, where uh, I'm going to start hanging out at all halftimes. If anyone wants to come up and say hello, talk some basketball, talk some football, or whatever, uh, at, at halftimes. Um, so shout out to those two people. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate uh, all the time. It, it is it is such a treasure to be able to to um to be able to talk to to some of our our listeners so appreciate it and i appreciate everyone giving the new new uh way of doing things amy and i trying to be a little more private uh, in the in the food 
part of it, and then we're going to go towards the stadium, and then we'd love to meet you up close to the stadium just a little different way. I appreciate uh, doing that as well. Uh, real quick, before we get to segment two, how are we feeling about Maryland this week for the football Hoosiers? Are we playing Maryland? I, Who are we playing? Not good. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You're just saying not good. I thought you were. I thought you were saying that's not who we're. Playing. No, we're playing Maryland, and and okay. I don't feel good. <laughs> they have the they have like the number one pass attack in the country, right? No, do they? Are both of our yeah. starting cornerbacks are out? Wait, both of our. I will say are they out? competed better. Oh, I thought they competed against Michigan. Uh, you know, they held in there with no offense um, until the four, fourth quarter. So that. Of the three games that they lost, to me, that was the most enjoyable performance. Um, you know, uh, the others, there were, there were some glaring issues in the Cincinnati and the Nebraska um, games. But mm. any Anytime your quarterback is dropping back, and as he's dropping back, he's flinging it and he's hitting a cheerleader, you know you've got some <laughs> issues. And I yeah. think the point, once you, if we can get the line to hold a little bit here and just to see if there's some improvement, and you know, kind of work on that improvement element because that's that's really where it's at. Hey, we at least weren't dead last in line play among Power Five schools. We were 65th out of 66, one spot ahead of Iowa. So suck it, Iowa. I will tell you, uh, Rod Carey's <laughs> as good as they get. Uh, he played with my brother-in-law Ross Hales in the early 90s. Was a center on some of the Mallory teams. Uh, dude can ball a little bit too because I used to go down and. And, and it'd be Ross and three other offensive linemen. We'd go to the hyper and play. I mean, it was great because, like, no one could beat us because we just were huge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had six, seven tight end scoring all the time, and then we had the six, five center, and it was quite the inner, you know, squad there at the hyper building. But uh, Rod's Rod's one one of the best guys. He had a good run at North Northern Illinois. Uh, didn't have find the success at Temple that he would have liked. Um, but they don't get any better uh, in the few times that I've had a conversation with him and, and, and talked to him when he's been uh, with my brother-in-law. He is, he is as good as they get as a person. He's in a bad situation here with five days to get an offensive line turned around or half a season, so I don't expect him to do a whole lot, but we'll see. We will. Well, hopefully they can get something done here over the balance of the season and win a few more games. We will see. All right, let's get ready for segment two. <clears throat> What's up, y'all? It's Devontae Green giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers. I love Devontae Green's thoughts on shot selection, though. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris, and I'm here with a trio of coaches, Coach Tonsoni, Coach Adranya, and Coach Bob Motes, making his debut on the Assembly Call. And so we planned this as a Coach's Corner episode. Originally, it was going to be me and Coach Tonsoni and Coach Adranya, and I was going to toss out you know, some coaching questions, uh, things that we've been asked kind of over and over in the offseason, and so we wanted to get a coach's perspective on it. Um, and look, you know, none of these guys obviously have coached in college and all of that. So all of those caveats are there. Uh, but these guys have coached basketball um, and, and coached basketball at a, you know, at a fairly high level uh, in the state of Indiana. Um, and so, uh, you know, they have interesting thoughts on, on all of these things and really understand the game well. And so I think their perspective is going to be great. 
And since we have Coach Motes here, and since we have found that uh, four-person panels are rarely productive, I'm going to exit stage left, and I'm handing this over to Coach Tonsoni so that he and the other coaches can uh, can do their thing. And I'm going to go spend a little time with my wife. So thank you, guys. <laughs> we just finished Better Call Saul, so we got to find a yeah. new show to watch. So, so what really happened is Jared asked these very tough, complex questions in the run sheet. <laughs> And now he's just going, so he doesn't have to hear us uh, an- answer him. But um, thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. It's always good to talk to uh, fellow coaches uh, about uh, basketball. And so we hope that we bring uh, everyone a little bit of knowledge and insight on, on, on what we would do from our vantage point. So appreciate it, Jared. Good questions, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Have fun, guys. All right. So um, some really good questions that uh, Jared uh, asked, and I'll, I'll throw them around. We'll, we'll talk, start with you, Tony, and then go to Bob, and, and then I'll, I'll try to chime in something there. And, and, and Jared asks, if Mike Woodson came to you and asked for your number one idea on how to improve Indiana's offensive efficiency, what would you suggest? Tony, you're first. Yeah, I'd tell him he's asking the wrong guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it, it, in all honesty, it you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm pretty open about my thoughts on, on offense and things like that. And I think Indiana started to do it towards the end of last season. But my number one tip prior to like mid-February, late February last year would have been uh, stop having two guys on the blocks. Um, that was an Archie era flaw, I thought, as well when he went to the blocker mover. Um, and then Race and Trace spent a lot of time inside the paint together to start last season. And then when they started spacing things out, went to more ball screen, heavy offense with uh, Xavier Johnson and Trace Jackson Davis, the offense kind of opened up a little bit and we saw some success there. So that would be my thing is uh, space the floor out a little bit better. Uh, keep, keep one of the bigs outside the paint um, and definitely don't occupy both blocks because it just clogs things up. Bob, what would you tell coach Woodson? Oh, same, same with Tony is like, yeah, wrong dude. But uh, I would, I would start with this, that, you know, Tony, you know, Tony's point about spacing is exactly right. And that, you know, a lot of it, I think comes down to going into the, how you're penetrating the ball into the lane. And I know that IU with the, the, the two guys with race and trace on the blocks, the whole idea was we're going to hit the post. You know, we want to be a post centric offense. And if you look at some synergy, if you have, you know, if you ever hurt, you know, or anything like that, you're going to see that Indiana is one of those teams that actually has a high percentage of post of their of their possessions ending in a post touch. And I think if we can get away from post driven offense and more into getting drivers to the nail into the lane and then getting teams in health dilemmas. And I think again, uh, they they're moving in that direction. I think having uh Hoods Cofino and Xavier Johnson, I think Trey Galloway is going to be is going to be good at that. It's kind of a secondary slot attacker. When Tamar Bates is in the game, I think he's going to do a lot of that as well. Really just getting, you know, getting, forcing their bigs out of position, but also forcing their wing defenders to come in and cover the bigs when, they're, when their rim protection is moving in. That's going to open up not just, you know, race or, you know, maybe race sitting in a dunker spot or even out, out, out on the perimeter, but it's also going to open up Trace Jackson Davis and level two or basically screener actions as well as guys like Cop coming up off of lifts, coming up off the baseline, moving up into position. And, you know, pen and kick, hit him, and then catch and rhythm, hit a three. And I think that would be the, yeah, that would be kind of my thing, is that if we could just get that penetration down to look like, you know, basketball that's played in the 21st century, 
and a lot of teams in the Big Ten don't do that. Let's um, let's let's differentiate ourselves and let's get get in that movement. Boy, there, there's a lot of good things that that both of you suggest. I'm going to come back at you with with a few things. Uh, one of mine was a combination of what you said: get TJD on the move and quit posting him up uh, the majority of times. Uh, I, I thought we relied on the. The, that initial post-up pass in and stand offense an awful lot, and we lacked movement at times. Uh, when, when you got TJD on on the roll, you're you're forcing those, uh, you're forcing help to make a decision because they're you know if they're going to tag off a shooter or do you stay with the shooter, um, you know so th- that creates a, a little bit more. I think TJD's better when you move him into the post instead of just put his back to the post. I, I thought that was that that's one thing, and then I'm gonna go back to you on this is how much of that is uh, your philosophy or if we were coaching our philosophy and then how much of it is uh, your personnel uh, I heard an interest I read something interesting uh, with, with Archie Miller where he's excited to go back to a non-post uh, offense after a year off uh, and sometimes we as coaches we see we see our personnel, and it's hard to take race out. It's hard to take TJD out, but you basically have two back-to-the-basket players there. Um, bringing one of them out beyond the three-point line is great in theory, but if they can't literally stretch the floor, we're still in a heavy post-up, post-presence, dunker spot, those types of things. So how much of it can be accomplished with this team when you have a couple fives, in in my opinion, and I know we want Race to shoot the three and he's got to be able to shoot the three, but that traditional modern basketball is played with four wings, basically. Your, your, your three and four are bigger six, seven, six, eight guys that can shoot. And, and heck, even Hunter Dickinson can shoot the three. Your fives can pick and pop nowadays. Um, we're, we don't have that at the four or the five with, with, the, with the starting lineup. And you bring Geronimo in if he's going to play some four, three. That's the stretching of the floor issue is um, always going to be an issue with this personnel, in, in my opinion. Agree or disagree, Bob? We'll come to you first. Oh, I, I, I agree. And that's I, when I hear numbers, I kind of go a little nutty because I'm like, you know, I, I'm in right. that team of there are lead guards, there's posts, and there's everybody else. And what are your skill sets? What are your complementary skill sets? I look at a guy like Race Thompson, and I mean, what, what excites about Race and Trace, as well as with Scafino and Xavier kind of in together, is that now we have multiple options on two-man game. So you could actually put, you know, you know, set uh, Hood Scafino and, and Race up in two-man game on one side of the floor, spotting up um, XJ and, you know, have Cop on that strong side as well and really just create some interesting actions. And then if TJD's in that dunker spot, okay, so here's your health dilemma. Are you going to leave a, a potential Big Ten player of the year, a potential All-American on the left side of the floor to just get a nice lob and dunk it down, or are you going to stay with him and then force IU to beat you in a different way? That may command. We always talk about putting two on the ball or three on two. That actually puts four on three, and you're leaving open potentially two shooters on the perimeter who are you know 35% plus three-point shooters. And the same thing is true. Tamar Bates shows improvement. We got that too. You, you make a good point because I, I would play TJD one-on-one. I wouldn't mm-hmm. double. I'd take away the – the threes and I'd force Xavier Johnson to take mid mid range pull-ups. You know, Jared had something in the community uh, the other day about Indiana took a lot of mid range twos and pull-up twos instead of the three or at the rim, right? The three at the rim rate. I'm just now getting into the shot quality and the synergy stuff. I haven't 
he throws those questions out this morning. I went scurrying. I don't have really good stats, so I'm going to lean on Tony for some of this stuff too. Um, but that that's the interesting thing is um, I'm I'm going to dare race to shoot until he proves it. Um, it's, you know, especially if all th- all things are else are equal, and I'm gonna, probably going to stick on Miller Cop and Tamar Bates. Um, but but my we're kind of morphing questions here because um, question number three is uh, more more this way. But you brought it up. How would you guard this? I'd be one that might say go get forty trace, but we're going to try to uh, limit uh, everybody else. We're not going to double team and give take that help away and give cop and those shooters because Tony. Sometime last year you said Indiana's better on, on the catch and shoot instead of on the or on the step in kick out threes rather than the on the move off the screens the the analytics are are there so i'm a big screen guy and getting shooters coming off screens but if they're not good at it that's where analytics help right you learn what kind of schemes uh to to put in it's not just the fact that i'm a motion guy and like someone coming off flare screens and pin screens and all those things which we'll get to here in a little bit um but it just concerns me as much as i love race and trace that it is a it is a roster that you had one coach try to do it. You had another coach come in from the NBA and heavy post up because they're reading their team and that's what's best for some of those guys. The personnel issue is going to be something um, that 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 I watch quite a bit. Tony, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great point in in the fact that you know as long as both of those guys have played heavy minutes, Indiana's had a fairly inefficient offense. You know, on the uh, global scale. Now, when you kind of dissect it and you get in towards the latter half of last year, now is that an anomaly or, you know, is that, um, you know, kind of the bright future head and kind of what everybody's basing a lot of these projections off of is kind of that Indiana team we saw at the end of the season. So I think really what it all comes down to and, and why it excites me is that Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson, the last 10 ish games of the season, finally had a lead guard that could create for them. Um, that that really they haven't had a ton of throughout their their Indiana career. You know, Rob Finnessy loved the guy, um, but when he was a lead guard, he just he, he wasn't able to create in the way that Xavier Johnson can. And then you bring in a guy like Jalen Huchifino that can also create, and that's why I think this offense can work. Um, you know, as Coach uh, Moat said, you know, getting getting to the nail and, and then making guys make decisions in the ball screens and, and you know, you're playing your four on threes or your, your three on twos or going to a two-man game. Like, there's so much exciting thing, so many exciting things you can do when you have so many creators. And then if you add somebody like a Trey Galloway on the floor with them, and then now you've got a few different creators on the floor. Um, so, I, again, it, just like the preseason expectations, I'm cautiously optimistic about what this offense can be. But, uh, you know, I certainly want to see it in practice. And by practice, I mean, like, right. <laughs> not an actual so, practice. <laughs> so Indiana's offense got better the last 11 games, specifically the last six or so games, and they found that niche in the Big Ten tournament. Um, Bob, I think it was Xavier Johnson uh, becoming better uh, at that what position, what you called a lead guard. Um why did he play better down the stretch? And do you think that is, is he's able to carry that over and, and eliminate some of the inconsistencies in his play? Because if he does, then these prognostications come true, in my opinion. I mean, we all love Trace and Race, but lead guard, it's a guard's game. I, I just believe it's a guard's game as much as I love big guys. It's a guard's game, and we need X 
to be that X in the last third of the season. Why was he so good? I, I think it, it started with, and you could tell early in the season, he was trying to figure out, okay, this is, this is how this goes on a team where I have teammates that I trust and I work well with. And I kind of figured, you kind of saw that there was a kid that was learning how to, you know, you're, you're building a team. And those first 20 games, you know, they're, they're figuring each other out. And I think what happened was his vision of the floor and whether it was done through game film, whether it was done through just hard knocks in practice, I don't know how they did it, but I know that there was, there was some definitive one-on-one coaching with him that, that let him start seeing not just his path to the basket, uh, but got to see the whole floor and began to start seeing, okay, now this is how the defense is deploying. And that's, you know, as coaches, we're the first ones. We're, 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 te- we're teaching, teaching our kids. And I'm teaching them 10, 11, 12. Guys, you know, you know where your teammate is. You know where they're supposed to be in the scheme. Trust that they're going to be there. Look where you're deep, but see how you figure they're open. That's, that's based on where the defense is deploying. Look ahead of your defender, see what's happening, and then make your decision. And I think Xavier was learning how to do that, and he really kind of kicked in you know, those last 10 games of the season, you know, cause you look at that Wisconsin game at Wisconsin, it was like, okay, I see what he's trying to do because I, cause he had no choice. The team had no choice. Greg guard threw the kitchen sink at it by just sticking two guys out on Parker Stewart and Miller cop and played three on three. And basically said, okay, if, they, if one guy's going to be, so it's going to be Xavier Johnson, just like coach Tom Sony brought up earlier. Yeah. So that's to me, the thing that, you know, really got him going was he began to start, you know, he expanded his view of the game and expanded what his role was in an offense. Two things really point that out. I, I, I saw a stat, I don't know who to give credit for, but I think in those games he was over seven and a half assists. Mm-hmm. And, and we all love X uh, scoring, but if he can get seven and a half assists, Indiana's offense is going to click regardless of spacing issues or whatever. That also goes with – they put TJD more on the move in those last six games off of that high pick and roll and more alley oops, which then also, Bob, you talked about lifting your shooters. That's where the tag's coming from defensively on a screen and roll, depending on what side and you're going strong side, weak side, or into two, the single side, double side, all of that, that action, right? But your tags have to come off the perimeters, and then you found maybe some shooters, and I thought our shooting was a little bit better in those last six or seven games. When, when, when that happens. So um, I think all of us are on the same page. Get people moving. I also like the shooters to move, even though, like Tony's stats said, they're better just on the, the, the catch-and-shoot stable instead of off the move. What, what's the terminology, Tony, on the two different stats? There's on the move, and is it catch-and-shoot? Catch-and-shoot is, is just one of them. And then- state more stationary shooting, right? And yes, then coming yes. off screens where your heel toe toe or hopping into your shot is is another stat. Uh, you had a really good segment last year. Screen. On that. I think it's off screen or something. Okay, like off screens are off moving. Like that would be my that's yeah. my offensive philosophy theory. But if our our guys are better at catch and shoot, you can still move them. And and Bob, your point to making the help make multiple decisions. So if you run a shooter off of a pin screen, he may not be open for a catch and shoot off of a screen, but that defender had to go round a screen, over a screen, third man through, whatever your defensive philosophy is, then get in a stance, then find the ball, and you have a chance of him being out of position where you can then drive and kick and and, and hit those threes for those stationary people. And 
and here here's a novel concept. Okay, you know, you you have a catch and shoot shooter like Miller Cop. Let him throw the screen and pop. Yeah, back screen yeah. step outs. Back screen step outs, or even you know, have a th- yeah, whatever that whatever that does. You can you can curl a hood scafino. Have yeah. him throw for your second lead, whoever your second lead is. Tony, if I asked you to have TJD involved in screening off the ball, would you do it? And if you would do it, how would you do that and then get him on the move into the post or in a pop to 15, 16, where I think he can be efficient this year? I'm intrigued on seeing if he could be not just a ball screener, but an off-the-ball screener creating havoc. And the thing, guys, I know college doesn't like to bring two guys together because of spacing and the driving ability, but I still think there's a there's some need in the college game for off-ball screening. Do you think TJD would be effective? And if and how would you uh, deploy him in that? Absolutely. And, and, you know, if you've got him, if you've got a ball screen happen on the other side of the floor and you've got him pinning down away, you know, a lot of things are happening there where, first of all, you're taking away a tagger probably if you're putting putting him in a down screen action with ball screen on the, the strong side. So you're taking away a tagger and, and most likely attention's on him. Now, if he's b- pinning down for a great shooter, you've got an opportunity to slip straight to the dunker spot, you know, if the guy's coming off the opposite end of the floor. So I absolutely think there's, there's great opportunity there uh, for TJD to be an off-ball screener. And even if it's just from a spacing perspective or, or uh, like I said, taking away a tagger on a ball screen on the opposite side of the floor, I think there's, there's great opportunity there. And then it, it's got to be better than him just kind of planted on that block and just his defender right there to basically take away the rim. One of those sets you sh- that he runs a lot out of second halves is that little um, slice cut on the baseline, then a diagonal back screen for TJD, and they, they yep. throw it in right uh, right away. Those kinds of things, when you get people running off the baseline, off that, where if you are going to post him up, run that kind of action again because you got to got to move the help. So, man, we can talk hours here on offense, but I'm going to take it to another direction here. Tony, we're going to come to you first with this next question. If Mike Woodson asked for your number one idea on how to take the defense from great to elite, what would you tell him? Yeah, it's that's hard because – I thought this was the hardest question. His philosophy on defense pretty much is, is fully in line with where I'm at. Um, you know, you, you're trying to funnel the ball to your rim protector. you got a great rim protector that you're going to keep down by the rim. Um, you know, I, I guess the only thing might be uh, guarding the three-point line a, a bit better. Um, you know, left some guys open. Um, guys about a half second, late, half second late, getting a little too deep. Like Jordan Geronimo, for instance, like always gets sucked in too deep to the paint and gives up a wide open three pointer, like little things like that. But that, that very much could just be personnel driven and not philosophy driven. So in all honesty, I, I love the way that, that uh, IU, they, they put pressure on ball handlers, um, you know, maybe from a ball screen perspective, maybe icing a little bit more, um, especially in, in big 10 play um, could see, could see that as a, as a possibility there. But in, in all honesty, um, you know, I, I'm kind of, grasping at straws here because my defensive philosophy aligns pretty well with how IU plays the game. I'm going to interrupt the fl- the, the flow because I think this is a good question um, from, from Bart. 
uh, going back to offense. Why would you, you guard TJD if he's running away from the ball or the basket to, to set a screen? What not they pack in the middle? Well, you can utilize – if people don't guard a big, you can set a perimeter screen, and your, your offensive person has no – there's no help there off the screen. Uh, so now you put the defender on the cutter – uh, in a real tough position, are they going to follow and then you give up a curl? If you go under, we're going to fade that for a wide open three. And with the athletes, um, if they choose to pack the lane against a screener away from the ball, you can really utilize that. You can do that in ball screen action too. Like if you're back off of TJD, you put him in a ball screen, now your guards can come off and shoot off off a guard screen. So, Bart, that was a, a really good um, – uh, question. I, I wanted to answer that before it got lost in the chat. But Bob, coming back to you defensively, um, boy, it was good last year. Is the reason Indiana was it competing in games and some of the close games they lost, the defense uh, was, was pretty solid. I, I have a hard time showing too much uh, or, or finding too much at fault with Woody's defense. Uh, what suggestions would you make? I, I think Tony hit the nail on the head with a personnel conversation because I think one problem IU ran into late in the season, this was the Brandon kid from Ohio State. Um, I think, you know, that was that there was that game where he just kind of took over at the end. And I think, you know, having a Hood Scafino out there, and it's not a knock on Parker Stewart, who's a great shooter, good kid, you know, all that. But you have yeah, now but by by upgrading by for more complete players to be able to go in there and okay, now we're put, we're gonna put six five in mobile much more mobile on a kid like Branham and whoever that kid like Branham is going to be this year, or whoever the, you know, whoever, you know, the Johnny Davis or whoever it's going to be this year um, is going to be critical because I think at that time, it can also kind of shut that off. You know, if we can just, again, get a couple more stops in those situations, you turn losses into W's. And I'd also throw out just the fact that again, um, better offense sometimes creates better defense. If you're flowing on offense, your defense is going to be is going to be more on point. And I think when you when you get to that point where that chemistry is there, that synergy is there with the team, this team will be a lot better defensively when they you know as they get better offensively. I think that you're going to see a, you know more focus on that end of the floor. So that way, as Tony said, you know you, you got it. You know guarding the line better. Guys aren't getting there as late. They're just more in tune, more crisp. Yeah, you know, I, I went searching for something today, fellas, on the defensive end. Uh, obviously, you want every area uh, of your program to improve each and every year. You never want to settle uh, at, at any level. So there are areas. One of the areas was I, I thought our rim protection was great, but at times I thought TJD would hunt um, for, for some blocks. And even when you do go for blocks, that crackdown on the backside has to be better. There were times where uh, I thought Indiana's uh, help of the helper – because TJD is helping on a drive to clean up as a shot blocker, then TJD might have to leave a person, uh, if you can visualize this uh, without a, a whiteboard here, but the help from the guards cracking down in a rebounding sense or a deflection uh, so there's no post-to-post -post pass uh, if they if they don't uh, get their shot blocked or, or whatever there. I thought at times, I and mean, I'm searching here, I, I don't think it's a big issue, <laughs> um, but you do want to make sure that every aspect uh, is there. And then I'd, I'd like to ask Coach Woodson, you know, what's his ideal uh, percentage of turnovers uh, per possession for his opponents? Uh, I, I looked at the ranking numbers real quickly, and, and we weren't ranked really high. And sometimes that's a philosophy thing, too, that you're, you're in better position, you want lower field goal percentage, um, and, and, you know, you're not so worried about that um, defensively. But 
you know, when I was searching for – it's always uh, – the pick and roll is always going to be – Tony, you talked about icing the ball screen because the game is so drive-driven. I think two areas that you constantly have to look at in college basketball, more so maybe than the, the levels that we coached at, is how are you going to stop a, a, a drive? Uh, the ball handlers are getting so good. Can you can you guard your yard? Can you get that ball stopped? Uh, and how are you going to guard ball screens? Um, and there's – you know, we, we have nine or ten different ways in our program to – to, to do ball screens, and it's always a discussion every year. Are we going to settle on one or two? Are we going to be specific scouting report? And then how good are we going to be if we put something in for a week or two? Um, the ball screen is here to stay, and it is tough because you got the point guard, you got the roll man, you got the lifts on the wings. So th- those those would be my thoughts. And, I, and, and an additional follow-up, uh, Tony, on, on this too is I think the last two coaches were really defensive-minded first uh and played players who uh got to the collegiate level defensively and i think sometimes that that hindered uh, offensive uh production too uh, you would love to have a guy who would be a lockdown uh defender and a great guard or post player or whatever but a lot of coaches uh, get uh, i think one sided in their vision and they're either going to play the guys who are going to score 20 and try to teach them how to play defense or give me defenders and i'll try to teach them how to play offense what would you be if you were a coach, and 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 what do you think college coaches should be? Which one's easier, easier to um, get implemented first, uh, and and do you think that has any implications with this Indiana roster? Yeah, or the way I'm, coach runs it. I'm definitely an offensive guy um, in terms of the way I think the game. Um, now that doesn't mean I neglect defense or, or anything of that sort, uh, but I I do think defense is easier to implement. Um, you know, your philosophy there. And, you know, we kind of saw it with with uh, Mike Woodson this past season. You know, he even said, like, first thing I'm doing is defense, defense, defense. And he's kind of shifted his focus this season and said, like, we're, look, we're looking more at offense now that we've got our defense established. So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of how I look at the game, I'm, I'm always kind of thinking offense first. Um, but you really have to understand how how defense works to have a good offense uh, as well, and, and what teams are trying to accomplish on the defensive end. So um, it's a really long winded answer to say both, um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Bob, we we've had heavy post uh, players, and we've had some really good defensive players that struggled offensively. The, Rob Finnessy comes to mind. Great young man, really a lockdown defender. Needed him defensively, but he struggled o- offensively. Um, do you think sometimes coaches get too strong on playing one side of the basketball? Um, and, and what would you do if, if you were running a, a college program? Are, are you implying that coaches can be a little stubborn? Uh, no, I'm not implying it. I'm just going to flat out. and I guess I didn't come out and say it. But, yeah, I think, I think we can be very stubborn. We can be. It, it, it comes with the territory. But, yeah, I, I think, it. first off, shooting cures most sins in many respects. Scoring can cure a lot of sins. And, you know, if you're not very talented offensively, yeah, you start working defensively on schemes. You try to figure out how to turn your defense into offense, especially at lower levels. But when you get to the, you know, you get the power five division one basketball or heck, it could, you know, I would say, you know, NAIA, you know, when you start talking about a 30 second shot clock. Well, now you got to find guys who can defend for 30 seconds or 26 seconds or 23 seconds, depending on how you pressure the ball. So I look at a guy. All right, you're you're looking at a guy, let's say like Rob Finnessy, you know, yeah, you you know, you, you, there's a role for him on a power five team. There's a role for him in a you know in these types in these types of situations, 
but I, I, I struggle sometimes watching a guy, you know, if I see a guy that can, you know, that has great blow by speed, great wiggle, they get to the rim. You can't tell me that kid can't be taught to defend. We can work with this guy. I mean, and so that's where player development, the off season becomes essential. That's where the game film becomes essential. We, you, you start sitting down with kids and you start kind of talking about, well, where are they watching? Because I think one problem that I think you run into when you start talking about college basketball you're oftentimes taking these guys that come to your campus, they're the best player in their high school team by far. They're the best player maybe in their county. They're the best player in, in, a, in, a, in a 10 mile, 20 mile, 30 mile radius, depending on where they're coming from. And so, you know, they've never had to worry about, you know, which foot am I supposed to move first? What am I watching on defense? Yeah, they'll get that in travel ball. They'll get that on the shoe circuit. They'll get that, you know, but, but even then, it's not as constant as it is when you're talking about playing a Big Ten schedule night in, night out. So I think a lot of it comes down to if you can get a guy that can score the ball and and you build a culture where it's okay, you know, where you start kind of moving them along, kind of like what they're doing with Tamar Bates, by the way, move them along so they can create a better basketball player that by the time, you know, great thing about, about, about freshmen, they become sophomores, sophomores become juniors. You get them to that point. So, yeah, I, I think I probably lean towards offensive skills first, mm-hmm. but can definitely – we definitely say that, you know, we, you can teach defense. You can teach, you can teach kids to play defense. And, and I'm slightly the other way. Uh, we were asked when Woodson came in, what would you do first? And I said I spent a lot of time on defense because I think defense is harder for kids to get to, especially going from high school to college. Because if I have a five-star, four-star player, I'm not having him guard anybody in high school because I don't want him to get in foul trouble. He's going to be taking chances to go out and get dunks, right? And you see that an awful lot. I, I, I'm I'm joking. I would probably coach that kid up a little bit different too. But um, a lot of times that's what happens, uh, right? That player is just getting 30, 40 a night and doesn't have to guard anyone. Um, I think offensive concepts are more confusing at college to understand the quickness you're, you're playing you know, five guys that you haven't played before other than AAU. Um, so I think offense is more complex and there's not as, there's more to teach on offense, but I think defense for me w- would be the emphasis, but I do, I, I've said this, uh, I think I've said it on the show that if I got back into as a high school coach, I would really work defense and then give a lot of freedom to the kids. Um, you get a stop, go do what you want within, you know, I don't want you shooting, you know, volleyball line threes when when you have an attack at the rim but um so much basketball too many too many times coaches put their thumbs on people and it restricts the offensive ability the flow to shoot and all that but i would really say we're gonna I, i love transition offense i think good defense i would sell it you play good defense you get a rebound get a steal then you go and show me what you got and then uh, we'll back you off in key situations. Um, that's just something I'm trying to d- develop there a little bit. But I think Coach Woodson's a great defensive coach. I love what they've done defensively. I think they're a tough out, and I wouldn't change uh, a whole lot. So moving on to the next one, uh, Coach put this uh, – or Jared put this as uh, Sean Miller and Xavier, and, and a lot of this depends on who, what your personnel is. But we're just going to do it in general. Um, if you were an opposing coach uh, and had to put together a scouting report on how to attack Indiana, how do you beat Indiana? Um, and you get, uh, and Jared put, you get an unmarked bag of cash delivered if you do win the game. Um, Tony, what what would you do to strategize to beat this Indiana team? Yeah, I think it, it comes down to Trace Jackson Davis on both sides of the floor. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, Coach, when you said, you know, you go one-on-one with Trace um, and, you know, you kind of take a play out of the, the Wisconsin playbook where – you know, you're going to try to make Indiana's guards 
uh, beat you. You know, I think even I think Trace's career high in the game that uh, he broke the Assembly Hall scoring record was against Marshall, and Marshall actually played as tough. Um, and they kind of just let TJD do what he wanted to do, and you know they they tried to kind of lock down everything else, and that. That that's probably what I would do on the defensive end, and then to attack IU, I'm putting Trace Jackson Davis in a ball screen every single time down the floor. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to make him try to be pulled away from that rim, and uh, and then attack from there. So um, those would be you know that's obviously very uh, forty thousand foot view of how you would strategize against IU, but those are kind of the two big things I would I would try to do probably. Yeah, I I would play behind TJD, and, and I don't know if that's smart, but I think he's great when he has angles and can go up and dunk the basketball when he's got a crab dribble and power dribble and try to make a, a move or a secondary move. I think he's capable, uh, but sometimes he gets that little jump hook in a hurry. Um, you got to try to uh, maximize the number of misses uh, with a good player. You're not going to hold hold that guy to eight points. Uh, but you don't want him to go for 24. So how how do you do that? Uh, um, I would I would not let Indiana find shooters. So if, if I have a scouting report and I think Miller Cop's shooting better, Tamar Bates has progressed. Hood Shafino can shoot. I would really lock down on them, and I'd make uh, Trace and Race beat you with guys, you know, six foot seven guys with their hands up, and, and I'd make uh, X show me that. He was the second half X or the late season X, and if he is now, you're you're real tough to guard. And now you're going to have to double in the post if if there's some improvement in the post. You're going to have to do some things on ball screens that are different. Your tags are going to have to be different if those two are playing at a high level. But I'd really force those two. It seems weird. You take your two best players and you're going to let them score. Um, but I think there's some right now their their weaknesses can be taken advantage of. Um, until they show me that those weaknesses have been washed away with with some some hard work, Coach. Um, your thoughts are either offensively or defensively. How, how do you beat Indiana? And maybe we shouldn't put this out on a podcast. I don't know too many opponents watch this or will they take us seriously. If this happens early, I'm going to be a little ticked at all three of us. <laughs> um, no, I would I would say you know a lot of it comes out also just disrupting flow offensively for them. For you, if you can blow up some ball screens. You can force Xavier Johnson, not let him get downhill, you know, and, and, and force him to, you know, kind of just kick out to another option for a little bit and then have enough coverage for that shooter. But I think a lot of it coming out, you know, icing that ball screen. You know, Tony said, are you doing that? But I think trying to ice, keep him out of the middle, you know, using some hedge, some different types of hedges where he can't really snake dribble around and kind of get downhill. That'd be key. I think, I think if I'm looking, if, if I'm sitting in a opposing, you know, coaches, you know, so now we're having a, you know, having a drink and a cigar. We'll be kind of like, okay, this is how I do it. Um, I look at it from you know, offensively, you know, what to do against Indiana. A lot of it, I think, yeah, I think lifting trace outs critical. I think also, I really think the other thing is, you know, trying to find ways to keep race Thompson off the boards, you know, trying to seal him a little bit, just try to get that, that middle open for you where they're just, where you're disrupting Indiana's health and then forcing their wings to come off. So that way, you know, you can get out, kick out for three-point shots. Yeah, I think that that's, that's critical for them. Another area I'd try, I'd try to take advantage of the three and four uh, guarding athletes, depending if I had athletes at the three or four to put them in dribble drive defending situations. I, I thought Miller Cop fought hard. He had a bad foot last year, and I thought he gave up some drives, but he stayed with it and was active with his hands in the lane. Uh, but that there's one where if he's playing the three, I think I can attack. Uh, 
I, I like trying to find a defender and what their weakness is, and then do we have the offense to go against that? So if I had a driver who was a three, I, I'd really be liking to run some sets and stuff at Miller Cop. And the same with the four, if a four could bounce it a little bit uh, to see if race – uh, Renault could could guard that as well as your ideas of lifting. I would run. I, I'd try to run and tire this team out and, and try to, you know, um, get as many possessions as possible if my team uh, was capable of of doing that. Our other coach, Jeff Marlowe, uh, sent this in. He does uh, work with Kathy Amos on doing the work uh, podcast for the, our women's show. He says, for the first time since 2013, this program has high expectations of success by the fan base, the media, and the team itself. As coaches, how would you try to manage those expectations for the team and not let them interfere with what you are building? Bob, we'll come to you first. You know, I, I, I saw that I saw that question in the community, and I kind of thought, you know, I've, I've been there recently, and it's it, it's about managing, you know, managing expectations is really what it comes down to. You bring it up even as a question, but it's redefining what your expectations are. I, you, you talk to kids, it doesn't matter what level you're coaching at. Every time your kids go on the floor, they think they're going to win the game and they think they're going to do, they're, they're, they're going to do, they're, they're going to do what needs to be done. Oftentimes when you're being hunted, I think it's actually hard on the coaching staff and harder on you, you and your assistants, because you're always trying to find ways to keep them first off, keep them in a frame of mind where, don't get too cocky. Don't get over, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get ahead of your skis on this. And, you know, we talked, I mean, I know coach, you know, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, just competition and practice. Yeah. You know, let's, let's get these guys competing. You know, the, the team I'm talking about three years ago, I mean, we didn't lose a game by double, you know, we, we went over games by double digits. I mean, keeping them together was hard. We stopped having the scrimmage because they were killing each other in practice because they were they wanted to play at a high level and they wanted to go at each other at a high level. So I was using, you know, I use a lot of team metrics, you know, okay, let's beat our time on this drill. Let's get this many shots in this period of time on this type of drill. And they weren't, wouldn't respond to that. What they responded to though was if I put black jerseys on one group and gold jerseys on there, those are our school colors, by the way, black and gold. <laughs> so I, um, I found myself, you know, putting, you know, okay, let's try to run the drill this way. And let's run the run the team metric drill. And let's see who which team beats the other team. And by the time they did that, we collect you know we found a way to collectively build the score. And it's like, yeah, you guys are killing whatever team metric goals we had going into the season. We, you know, we're showing constant improvement when we pitted you guys against each other. And so a lot of that's just you know your personnel, you know your kids. As where culture kicks everything at this point in time. Talent's one thing, but you've got to have the culture in place, and that starts. You know, our motto that year was next year starts now. And that was after, yeah, after we lost our tournament game uh, in 2018 or 2019 of winter, we were back in open gyms that next week. And then we're in open gyms in the fall. We go through tryouts and then we're, 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 we're clicking. And we had some additional players that moved into the district um, and really just kind of gelled that group together. But it, we had to have the right culture in place to be able to be like, okay, where our expectations isn't just, you know, okay, you beat this team by 20 points. It's more like, have we markedly improved over the course of the season and showing that marked improvement to those kids? Tony, how do you manage uh, the high expectations that everyone's uh, putting on this year's uh, Hoosier basketball team? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, you don't talk about it too much. Um, you know, you, you don't want to keep beating it like – look guys, you're not as good as they're saying you are. Cause you, you want your team to be confident, not cocky. You know, there, there's a difference. And, um, and you know, them 
them thinking they're good isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, when that trickles into um, how they're practicing or, you know, if they're not actually working hard to improve, you know, that's when the, you blow the whistle and you, you get in their ass a little bit. And, and, you know, you remind them that you're not as good as you think you are, but you pick your spots. Um, you know, you, you don't, you don't just continually hound or, or talk about the expectations in a good or bad way. I think, you know, you, you, um, you know, you let, you let things play out and you're constantly working to improve. And like Bob said, you're, you're making sure your practices are competitive and, um, you know, th- that's okay. I mean, I think as much outside noise as you can keep out of your program is a good thing. And that doesn't just start with preseason preseason expectations might be the best thing that they've got going for them from the outside. Cause as soon as they lose a game, uh, you check that IUBB hashtag and it gets ugly. So, um, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, when I've had teams that have high expectations, um, it's something that I didn't really address too often. And every once in a while I'd pick a spot where I'd kind of remind them, Hey, we're not as good as we think we are. We got to compete. Yeah, you know, um, I'll add the word to, to what you said, the process. If you as a coach have set the process in your program of getting better in years where you don't have high expectations and the process then is the, is the same, and that's another way for saying culture, I think, Bob, um, that we're going to work to get better on years we're not expected to win and we're going to work to get better on years where we are. Gonna, we're not changing what we do because we're expected to be the Big Ten champions, right? We always have expectations of winning and being the best in the conference, and our goals are to win tournaments. I mean, that shouldn't change, and neither should your process. What happens is when the hype infiltrates that culture, infiltrates those practices, uh, that's Tony's talking about reminding them you're not so good. And today's coaches have so much more of that to deal with from the outside sources, the families, all of that, putting all of this information uh, into kids where it can be a problem if, and sometimes it's out of our control. Like you can do everything about the process. You can bring them in, you can get on them and everything. But you know, sometimes when you have 18 to 22 year olds or we all coach at different levels, there are things that are going to pop up at the dinner table or in the social media that you as a coach uh, have very little control over, which makes coaching in this day and age uh, a lot more difficult. But you don't sit there and put pressure on kids that you have to be Big Ten champions if you have to do this. You put pressure on them saying our process has to get better. We have to get better from game three to game four or we're not going to have a successful season. We've already defined what a successful season is. But we're not successful right now because we're not building in practice, whether the competitive drills, all all, all of those things. Our last question here uh, is from Jay. It says, seems like uh, last offseason all we talked about was the four-out, one-in offense, and this offseason we're talking about is shooting. With the addition of a secondary ball handler like Hood Shafino, what different sorts of things are you looking for IU to run on offense this season? I'm going to add to that, Tony. I'm going to come to you first. You've all mentioned it here when we talked offense before, but the idea of having multiple people who can bounce the basketball or deck it, whatever quote you want to say, makes offense um, coaching a lot easier because you can do a lot of different things offensively when you have multiple people who can bounce that basketball and create um, havoc with the help and get people open. Your thoughts on things you can do when you ha- I had someone like Hood Shafino and even have a guy like Trey Galloway who can do that coming back. What does that mean for the offense? 
Uh, I'll take this one. Sorry. Yep. I, um, yeah, I think, you know, we, we talked about it a bit earlier um, in just the sense of it, it just opens things up. And, and you know, especially from a, a ball screen perspective, you know, you can you can swing the basketball around, catch the help side napping and then get somebody else creating from the weak side. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's so vital to have creators um, on the offensive side of the basketball. And it's it's more vital than, you know, people thinking you need a 38% shooter from deep. Um, you know, it's, it's so, so important to have guys that can create. And, you know, in terms of like the different things you're looking for, are you to run like nothing vastly different than what they ran last year? I think they will be more effective, um, especially the latter half of the season. Um, you know, I think you're going to see a ton of ball screens, um, you know, guys coming up from the, the weak side block or the opposite block and coming up to, to set ball screens. And then you're going to see, you know, that shake action with the guy lifting like a Miller cop. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's anything like revolutionary that you'll see from a basketball standpoint, but it's good basketball plays and it'll be good spacing and they'll have opportunities to score the basketball. And ultimately, you know, that's what offense is, right? You're just trying to find ways to put the ball in the bucket and um, having an additional creator certainly helps the matter there. Bob, your thoughts on, on someone like Hood Shafino uh, joining uh, the club and what it means offensively? It's it's two guys you got to worry about attacking you, you know, instead of having one guy that you can really just key in on and blow some stuff up. Um, you know, I think that's that that's 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 something that Indiana, you know, playing two leads is a lot easier than playing two posts. I'll put it that way. Um, that being said, you know, I, I think offensively, if Woodson can figure out also how to get you know, just, just, just get more clean transition looks from three. That'd be critical. I mean, we look at the, you look at the analytics on that, you know, that's, that was something that last year, you know, and they, when they did it, they did it incredibly well. So if they can get up and down a little more, you know, and I, and that was one major improvement I saw going from Archie or cream, even going, going back to probably 94, the biggest improvement I saw was they weren't messing around getting into offense this year. They weren't messing around getting into offense last year, and they're not going to do it this year either. You know, they're getting that ball up over the, the, the 10 second line, 27, 26 seconds on the shot clock, not 22, 21. And, you know, you look at things, I call it set fidelity, where it's like you're trying to run a recital with your sets. Well, I, okay, the ball goes here and I go here and this. No, it's too mechanical. I love seeing a little more flow out of this team. And I'm looking forward to seeing that this year also, where it's like, okay, I know how I can make a read. Coach is confident, like Coach Don Sony hit the nail on the head. I'm going to give these guys some freedom. You have parameters. You know, this you know, you're 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 not playing a Bach Cantana here. You're 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 running offense. You're trying to get a basketball into a goal against five other defenders, and they're trying to stop you. You got to get move, you know, you've got to you've got to adjust, you've got to be able to do it on the play, you got to do it in, you know, basically making that decision in like what two tenths of a second when you catch it. So let's let's get the you know, let's get that movement going, let's get that flow going. And let's keep that flow moving because I love the philosophy that you know, I think Woodson was bringing in where it's like, I'll let you screw up, but we got to, we just have to have the right mindset coming into this. And I think, I think we're going to see more of that this year where you're going to have more of that flow, more of that feel. 
you can get out and run easier too because you have a couple guys you can outlet the basketball to. You weren't outletting into Parker Stewart or Miller Cop or Race or those four. You had to go to X. So you now have you could you know set up your break your outlets. You know, Hutchifino gets a rebound. He can just dribble out and go. Uh, you have something on that transition game. I'm a big proponent of early offense. Um, and, and, again, I think that's more modern basketball, and I think that's important to get to. And your defense can't get set. You know, we just talked about how we would guard uh, Indiana. Well, you can't do that if we are running up the floor. And with two creators in transition – then you can spot up at three for your transition kick out threes. And you see a lot of it in college basketball. You haven't seen a lot of it in assembly hall. Um, fellas, you know, I, I could sit here and talk for another two or three hours, but we, we got a little bit of a time limit. We're going to move on uh, to section three. We have some uh, great questions here. Uh, so uh, stick with us here on the assembly call for the mailbag part of the show. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates in Northbrook, Illinois. All right, man, that's good. I, I, I don't want that to stop. We, we can just keep going. Uh, you know, and, and what I, I will say this quick, and we'll get on. It's already uh, ten twenty. We'll try to get you out of here. But um, for for my part of the coach's corner, uh, Tony has his film room and that. But I would love to have you guys on either just the two of us or the three of us and talk ten fifteen minutes. You know, a Monday night. Let's pick something like uh, you know, icing the ball screen. What do we like about it? What do we don't like about it? I think it'd be good for our community members. Maybe we see something in a game. You know, uh, that first game uh, against Moorhead State. Uh, and then the next week, uh, if I'm doing a coach's corner, we can zoom and and I I just like to do 10 or 15 minute segments there. Um, I'd really uh, like that. So let's hit these questions and um, then um, we'll, we'll be done. But that was really good stuff. All right, here we go. Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than hand a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. Welcome back to Assembly Call Radio. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni. I'm the second host of the show. Jared is uh, off uh, uh, spending some time with his wife after putting us into a long segment of basketball X's and O's. So, uh, we wish both of them well, but it's now time for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and also join us at assemblycall.com backslash community. Tony has a film room in there. I do a coach's corner. We have 
excellent community members and, and good discussions, polls, all kinds of things. Uh, give that some consideration. So it's now time for... It's not that good, but it's not that bad. It's Jay's Mediocre Question. So for, for time, uh, we're just going to go around and pick uh, – each person's going to pick one until we get to five um, on this question. It says, give me your all-upside IU lineup that you'd love to see in an ideal world this season. In other words, if every player on the roster hit your highest realistic expectations for them this season, what five guys would you love to see on the floor together? Bob, you get the first pick. Tamar Bates. Tamar Bates is on the floor as someone. If he reaches it, I'm, I'm telling you, if he reaches uh, what we believe he can be, look out, uh, Indiana. Tony, you get the second pick. Uh, this is easy. TJD. <laughs> TJD is on the floor with Tamar Bates. Uh, I'm going to go uh, Hood Shafino. Um, there's a still question. Oh, anytime you're a freshman coming in, even though you played at Mount Verde, I think his body type is perfect. You're hearing all kinds of great things from NBA scouts. If he reaches his maximum, uh, you know, potential and that production meets the projection, I want him on the floor. Bob, you got the fourth spot. Greg Alloway. All right. You and Coach Marlowe should get together and talk. Explain real quick. I mean, if we get – that guy gets his shooting percentage at three over 30%. This this is – you know, and I think one of the best-kept secrets in, in Indiana basketball a couple, three years ago was Trey Galloway. I think every coach was salivating in the, you know, within a 300-mile radius of Culver trying to get in to talk to that kid. And I think if they want to, you know, I think if he gets a shot down, he becomes the player everybody knows he is. And, Tony, you get to fill out the roster. Yeah, just, just to piggyback on Bob, I, I tweeted this and I got killed by some people, but Trey's, Trey's form did look different at Hoosier Hysteria. He had a lot more lift and a lot more arc on his shot. And it was intriguing. Now I got killed because it's warm ups and blah 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 blah. But um, <laughs> but it did look different. And if he can, if he has some lift on his shot, his mechanics aren't bad. He had good rotation. Like I'm excited about what that can be. But um, for the sake of time, I, you know, I, I got to go with XJ to to round out that that top five. So we go small, right? We go XJ, Hood, Shafino, Tamar Bates, Trey Galloway, and our post player TJD. If they reach their potential, we want them out on the floor. I think there's a hidden message there, and and we can ask. I like smaller lineups. I'm a guard-oriented guy, even though I played post in high school, Bob, a uh, long, long time ago. It's a guards game, right? It is. I, I live in Columbus, Indiana. I look at my guys, all the guys say, you think you're a post player? You live in Columbus, man. We, 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 we like playing five out here. <laughs> All right, Phil asks, if TJD and, and Hood Shafino move on to the NBA next year, what impact does that have on the upcoming season and recruiting um, for next season? Tony, your thoughts? Uh, we're obviously losing TJD. There's a lot of talk about Hood Shafino being one and done. Uh, where do you think Indiana is currently with the recruits in the in the next season, and, and does that affect the recruiting philosophy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think – I think in the on the global scale, the best thing that could happen to IU is uh, Jalen Hutchfino, one and done. Um, you know that's that's a great tool to have in your tool bag on the recruiting trail, especially when you're trying to recruit high caliber kids. Um, but you know you're losing two high high caliber players in TJD and J, uh, JHS, so that does um, is is I don't think he goes by JHS. I don't know why I just said that. It's because his initials are on there on the run sheet. You're right. <laughs> um, but. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you're going to have to hit the portal uh, a little bit harder than you did this past season, especially only having uh, two 23 kids committed currently. Um, you know, but but what you got to remember is the last two seasons, Mike Woodson is, has pulled a rabbit out of his hat a little bit in terms of picking up a five-star that decommits with a coaching change. Happens every season, so you, know, you keep your eyes peeled for that and then uh, on the portal. But, yeah, I mean, the, the – if that happens, your your twenty twenty three Hoosiers look a little bit different and, and probably a step back from this season, but time will tell. Bob, your thoughts on uh, future rosters? Future roster. I mean, I think you know the, the one thing. And this is why you know Paige kind of hurt me a little bit because you know this team needs someone that's a rim protector to replace Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, that's that's going to be the big the big kind of want or need that this team's going to have at this point. And that's again going to where we where where this team we think is going to be. To where where we want it to be, which is that top two percent of programs in the country, and keeping it there. Um, I think losing you know Hood Scapino, I think Tony's right. From a from forty thousand feet, that's a great thing for the program because kids go, okay, what do I want to do? I want you know I want to get to the league. I want to play basketball for a living on the biggest stage. So if you can get that, you know, he gets to the league, that that's huge as a one and done. Um, I think that they could, you know, again, I think it's going to be easier to find a portal guard or wing than it is to be finding finding a rim protector. I think that they, you know, I think, I think they're going to, they're going to find, you know, they, they can find somebody to come in and do kind of what Xavier Johnson did. And, you know, a lot of us maintaining, and I'm excited about Gabe cups. I'm excited about uh, Ja'Kai Newton. I'm excited. These two guys can come in and really kind of hopefully within a year or two, make an impact across the board for the program. Yeah. That's what I was going to mention. I, I'm a big fans of, the, of those two guards. I know freshman point guards sometimes, putting the ball in their hands. Um, it's nice to have Hood Shafino here with X uh, to, to learn from him and not have, have the reins, but sometimes you gotta, you gotta do that. Um, but the other thing is Logan Duncan's getting a lot of uh, publicity. If he's making advances um, and, and Renault, I think will be here. I don't think he's a one and done. And you have Geronimo and you have Caleb Banks who I'm really high on. And I don't know that he'll get a lot of run, but I think he's a six, eight guy who can post uh, deck it and then shoot the three. Uh, when he's ready to play, uh, we'll see how soon that is. But I think the core is there. Uh, obviously, there's some concern about missing out on on Page and and, and Booker and some of those is has recruiting uh, momentum stalled a little bit. And the answer is maybe a little bit, but I don't think it's. Um, uh, I think Tony's absolutely correct. It's a little step back. Obviously, teams do that uh, every year. When you lose the amount of talent that we have this year, uh, you're going to look back. But I also think Woodson's building to have some continuity where a step back means we're still still expected to make the tournament, still top six in the Big Ten. I think we'll have a roster that would do that, and I think Coach Woodson's good enough uh, to make sure, portal or not. Uh, last question here is from Jim. Uh, how do you think Woody will distribute the point guard minutes? Most of us think Xavier and Hood Shafina will start, and then one will always be on the court requiring some staggered minutes for them. But what happens when one of them gets in foul trouble or gets hurt? Seems like we need another secondary ball handler. Bob, your thoughts on point guard minutes and maybe the third ball handler? I thought, you know, I, I kind of thought across the board, Trey Galloway will, go, will, will come in and kind of be that secondary slot, that secondary lead player. Uh, for for IU, I think it'll be interesting to see if Tamar Bates gets some run in that role as well, like maybe giving a hint for the future. But I mean, I really think that you're going to have you're going to see one, two of uh, Hood Scafino, Xavier Johnson, and, and Trey Galloway in a game, thirty nine out of forty minutes. I think you're going to see two of those three. Tony, point guard minutes. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Bob. So I'll just kind of go um, a little bit 
just of a different mindset. I don't actually believe this, but I could if um, you know Tamar Bates could possibly become somebody that that could become a secondary ball handler. Um, it looked like he'd put on some muscle and some weight um, at Hoosier Hysteria. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think it's definitely XJ and Jalen Huchfino, and then you'll see Trey Galloway come in there and, and uh, be a secondary guy. But, yeah, some one of those three always on the floor. I, I am going to say something might be really crazy, and I don't think it'll be this year. Trace Jackson Davis. Ball no, but I think J- Hood Shafino might be the better point guard player going forward than Xavier Johnson. And Xavier Johnson has the experience factor, um, the the toughness right now of being a college player playing in his fifth year. He has that going for him. He'll be the lead. But I think we're and, and I, this might be crimson colored glasses, but I think we're going to be just absolutely shocked at the ability to find open players that Hood Shafino. He did that at Mount Verde. He took a, a he didn't have to score. He wanted to win championships. He was able to find he was a point guard pass first with the ability to score, and I think he's got good scoring ability. Uh, the difference is just experience. Um, well, you'd love to have him around, uh, the previous question, for, for a couple years. But if he's as good as everyone's talking about it, I think you're going to see that he naturally does some things that X had to progress over four years to do. Um, and hopefully they're at the same level now uh, because that means Hood Shafino's re- 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 you know, really pretty good. But I don't think you'll see too many times without them on the floor barring injury and or – you know, double foul trouble or or anything like that. I think it would be wise to keep one of them on the floor at, at all times. So uh, that's going to do it um, for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing our music, and thanks to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. Thank you for listening. And until then, take it from me, Yogi Farrell. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Hey, the show's over. Here I come, Coach Tonsoni. That never gets old for an old guy. <laughs> hey, one more question. Um, I, I, I wanted this at the in the after dark here real quick uh, we kind of touched upon it a little bit i just thought this was a different direction in the show so we'll put it in the back end marty asked um when did we realize that archie wasn't going to make it i think the best part of his question here was a roster construction so i'm going to turn it into a, a little one last question for coaches too is the importance of roster construction at the college level all of us at, at our, our different levels we kind of get the guys that are, who are in our district and then you got to manipulate pieces we don't get to recruit technically, but um, Tony, talk real quick about roster construction because I think we can agree with Marty that that's what did um, did Archie and Archie's a good basketball coach. He had some post players, didn't have missed on some guards, and then tried to run offense according to his personnel, and it didn't win games. Um, sometimes you're a victim of knowing too much, and I believe if you sat down with Archie and had a pizza and a beer, he'd probably say, "I tried too hard." Uh, to 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 do some things that I maybe totally didn't believe in, but I felt it was best for the roster, um, as well as some recruiting things. I think we're all on board on that, and not to rehash the the Archie Miller 
Uh, I'm a big fan of his, but he did not get it done at, at Indiana. But I do think it leads to the importance of roster construction. We've talked about it, about spacing in, in the segment two. We've talked about it defensively in attacking people who can't guard uh, multiple leads and post players. And it's been infiltrated all pro, uh, all of this program. But just final thoughts on, on roster construction overall for Indiana or any team in the collegiate ranks. Tony, we'll start with you. Yeah, it's tough. You know, it, it, you especially when you're trying to recruit uh, the caliber of player that can help you win Big Ten championships and national titles. You know, you're here. If you like a kid, that doesn't mean you get him. You know, you got to you got to put in a lot of work, a lot of time and you still might not get him. Um, and so, yeah, ultimately, Archie's era came down to a lot of recruiting misses, especially in the last couple of years of his his tenure. And um yeah, just didn't have the talent really to to win at the level that he was held accountable to win at. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, it, it was tough. I think Archie Miller is a good coach. I think he's going to have a lot of success at Rhode Island. I just think that, you know, it's uh, the roster wasn't constructed in the way that could, could win games in the Big Ten. And it wasn't because he didn't recognize – that hey, we need some shooters, or hey, we need to to have some lead guards that that can penetrate and dish, and and you know we need to run our offense this certain. But he couldn't get them like that, right. <laughs> and and so that you know that that speaks more to the flaws of his recruiting rather than really like his basketball acumen. Um, yep. To me. Yep. Uh, I I agree, and to some extent, the struggles last year, in my opinion, are roster construction, as we've talked about having two players at the post running blocker mover during Archie's time. Um, and last year, the heavy post-up. Uh, you know, and it tells me that basketball coaches see this roster and know that their strength is in the post, so we're going to post up. Uh, these guys know what they're doing. Uh, Archie knew, knows what he's doing. Woodson knows what he's doing. But it comes down to, two: do you have the Jimmies and Joes to do something differently, or do you try to maximize where, where Woodson's better as he's been able to recruit? He understands Indiana better. He's a better communicator. And those off the court things, I think. But I think we still had, and concerns me this year, that we still are heavy post uh, with people who can't, don't even attempt threes, shouldn't attempt threes because they're just at the basket players. Um, so roster construction is still a concern, even though I think it's headed in a much better direction than under Archie Miller. Bob, thoughts on uh, roster construction? We'll call it a night. You're 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 looking at the best programs in the country are going for the same 50 guys year in year out. And, you know, it's, you, you got, you, you got to catch lightning in a bottle. And I think these first couple uh, cycles, you know, what's in, you know, 2021, 2022 cycles have actually shown some lightning in a bottle capability. Right. And I'll, I'll be honest, if you can build a better mousetrap, if you don't have to, you know, spend, you know, 20 hours of a work week or 70 man hours of a work week, trying to find a way to recruit, Going to every Cal Palace and you know the Week Iowa trying to find players, I say go for it. You know if you can find a way to do this a different way, where we can actually find ways to get kids to you know get kids to come to college campuses, you know, and, and IU build a program. Let let's go for it. So I think for the construction, you know, the targeting of the right kids, you're looking for the right type of skill sets going with it, and I think you're you know the attraction for this program, and and then yeah, it comes back down to culture. I'll just say this: look at the Hoosier hysteria. And yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you the rapper's name was rapping. G Herbo. G, thank you. I, I knew Brian would know it. He's on. <laughs> so. He's on. Been on my playlist all week. I've just been jamming out. 
to uh, G early. I'll, I'll, I'll hop on my Amazon Music and see if they can give me give me a CD sent to me. It's well worth it. <laughs> Is it on eight <laughs> So no, um, I mean, but you look at those images, and it's like, okay, I can get to the NBA. I'm gonna I, I'm I'm gonna be going to an awesome campus with a great college experience. Oh, and by the way, these guys are having fun together. Right. You know. If you can, you know, so, you know, yeah, that roster construction, yeah, you're targeting the right guys, but now you got to get the right messaging down and you got to get the right sort of vibe for them to get there. So I, I, I like, I like what we're doing. I just, I just, you know, and again, it's, it's, it's a fickle business. So. Yeah. Recruit recruiting is inherently, you have some misses, um, but sometimes it, it, it hurts. And I, I think, you know, uh, that hurt in the previous era uh, right now, it's been going well. Um, and that's maybe what the concern of some of the fans are about the momentum slowing down. Uh, but I, I think Woodson's doing things um, the right way and has some avenues that are a little bit different than traditional coaches with his connections and pro day and all those things that are going on. And, and at some point, uh, we got to just sit back and, and trust uh, what's going on until we see differently. Uh, and then we can comment on that differently. Well, fellas, I tell you what, this has been a fantastic night. Anytime we can get rid of Jared and Ryan, uh, it, it's a good thing, you know. Uh, no, just just joking. Um, but I do appreciate those guys uh, stepping aside so we can commandeer the show and talk some X's and O's. I hope someone got some things out of it. Uh, be connected with us on social media. We'll, we'll be glad to answer your questions. And we are, what, three weeks away two weeks away from actual basketball, the 29th. Uh, yeah. So it is, is getting closer. We wish all the luck to the uh, women's program as well. Excited about watching them play. Uh, and then the football team, we, we want them to get this straightened out, even though uh, we, we have some major questions. But thanks, guys, for being here. Uh, enjoy uh, the weekend, and we'll be in touch. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Uh, thank Good night, you. everybody. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.